This is a Federal News Network podcast. Congressional auditors have found big flaws in the Defense Department's signature supplier security program. That would be the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, to be exact. A Government Accountability Office review found numerous problems with CMMC 1.0. Now the question is, will those issues continue to haunt the revised 2.0 program? For more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And Justin, this report was done largely before the Pentagon finished its review and came out with a whole new set of revisions to CMMC, and that was only last month. So tell us what this all means here. Yeah, well, it was interesting timing. GAO kind of did the review in parallel with the Pentagon's own review that happened over the past year that resulted in CMMC 2.0, as it was announced last month. And GAO, you know, they reviewed DOD documents as they normally do, interviewed DOD officials involved in the program. And they also interviewed representatives from defense contractors, industry groups, and research centers. And what they found was that DOD wasn't providing timely communication to the defense industrial base about the program. No surprise there, there was largely a communication blackout during DOD's review of the program over the past year. GAO also found that DOD hadn't developed a plan to evaluate the effectiveness of the CMMC pilot it had wanted to launch this year before the changes were made. And it also found DOD didn't have any big performance measures to evaluate the effectiveness of the cybersecurity maturity model program. They knew that they wanted to improve the security of the defense industrial base. But beyond that, they didn't have any outcome-oriented measures. I spoke with Bill Russell, one of GAO's lead authors on the report, about what this means for the program as it goes into 2.0. Certainly when we talk to industry groups and others as part of the review, there are a lot of questions and concerns about the level of communication that DOD had about what the changes were, the schedule of events, you know, as they were implementing CMMC 1.0. Our initial look at 2.0 shows that there has been a lot more communication about what issues are going to be tackled through rulemaking and other efforts to get at some of the concerns that industry raised. And that's Bill Russell of the GAO. And Justin, the review also had some data on how defense contractors, how often they put off existing cyber requirements. What does that mean for CMMC 2.0? Even before CMMC, contractors had to sign off that they were complying with NIST cybersecurity requirements as part of a defense contract. And an organization within the Defense Department, the Defense Industrial Based Cybersecurity Assessment Center, has been doing some limited reviews of whether contractors are actually following those requirements. And GAO found, according to DIBCAC officials, that of the 110 companies that they assessed between fiscal years 2019 and 2020, only 16% met all of those requirements in the NIST cybersecurity program. And as of October, with data from subsequent assessments, that number has only increased to about 22%. So that suggests that even after a year or more after contract award, only one in five defense contractors are meeting all of those NIST cyber standards that form the basis of CMMC. And so under 2.0, one of the big changes is companies can defer some of those requirements into a plan of action and milestones. But DOD officials have said they want to do that in limited circumstances, and they'll only have 180 days after contract award to rectify those plans. So they might need some more flexibility there. Not surprisingly, Russell said the ability to defer requirements into a plan was a key concern from industry. You're graded on 50 things and you did okay on 45 of them, but fell short on the last five. Do you have to start all over? 
to get certified, or could you do something like a POAM to show that you've made progress in the areas you were deficient in? But I think that's just one to watch. You know, what are the exact details going to be if DOD decides to use the POAM process? Again, GAO is Bill Russell. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. What other concerns did industry tell GAO, Justin? Well, reciprocity was another big one, and that basically refers to whether you can use a different but similar certification to meet the CMMC requirements. One of those is a FedRAMP process that cloud computing companies have to go through to provide the government with services. So during 1.0, DOD officials had said they would look to use reciprocity so companies didn't have to go through multiple certifications. But In discussions with defense contractors, GAO found that DOD hadn't really defined that issue. And indeed, if you look back, there wasn't really much documentation around how DOD was going to do reciprocity. And so a lot of companies said that without reciprocity, the duplicative compliance costs would be a big burden. So it'll be interesting to see how DOD actually defines reciprocity under the 2.0 process, what other certifications they'll accept, perhaps in lieu of a CMMC certification. So cost concerns then loom large for contractors, not surprisingly. No, I mean, companies express a lot of concerns publicly about the cost of compliance during 1.0. And more than anything, that drove the big Pentagon review that led to the changes to the program under 2.0. So now DOD says it's going to make it easier for most contractors who are handling less sensitive information. They don't have to go out and get a third-party certification under 2.0. They'll just have to submit a self-assessment. Even there, GAO had some interesting data to consider. So for 1.0, DOD had estimated in a rulemaking that it'd only take about 45 minutes and a cost of $74 for a company to do a self-assessment. That's a funny statistic. That's what DOD had put out in an official interim rule. But not surprisingly, companies said they're going to spend a lot more time, even on a self-assessment, making sure that they're submitting accurate data and that their program's in line with the requirements. And then for companies that do have to get certified, DOD had estimated that they would only need about 420 labor hours to prepare for an assessment. One company GAO spoke to told them they invested 36,000 hours of staff time to prepare for a DIBCAC assessment. So how DOD estimates these costs under 2.0 will be a key consideration. All right. And what's next on GAO's plate for looking at this? The great confessional booth for contractors, that is the GAO. Right. Bill Russell mentioned DOD was doing better on the communications front, but he said GAO is still looking for progress on those other recommendations, especially as to whether DOD sets some actual goals for the program as it starts to roll it out. Certainly, we'll be tracking DOD progress against the recommendations that we just made in this report. We will continue to watch for pilot and any metrics and outcomes associated with that, as well as the overarching CMMC framework as that gets implemented. And in the meantime, the whole question of are suppliers secure in holding government data or government contract-related data, that's the ultimate question here that nobody knows. That continues to be the overarching goal, as you said, and it's been there for many years now. It was the whole point of CMMC, but all the complications that GAO just covered in rolling out this program shows why it's been such a headache for the Pentagon. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving 
our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about, but that's should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and 
how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. 
Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.